The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are absolutely in the right place. Today's buzz, this is going to sound heavy. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. You decide. The law of life. Yes, there is such a thing. And it's a quote from John F. Kennedy. I found it. So what is it? One word, change. Here's the complete quote. Change is the law of life. And those who look only to the past or present are certain to miss the future. How prophetic, because here we are on our new live edition of Future of Business with Game Changers Radio. Here's the news flash for all of you out there in our global business audience. Change is inevitable when, whenever your organization has to grow and adapt to new business requirements. So who ch- handles change the best? Well, a human capital media and SAP survey reveals that L&D learning and development is an integral part of orchestrating change management practices at the best-in-class companies. Everybody in our listening audience all over the world, don't you want to be a best-in-class company? Of course you do. So the big question today is change champions. Who are they? What do they do that's so good? What do they know that we don't know? And do they have a toolkit that we can talk about today with tools, tips, strategies, actions that you can put into action for your company too? The answer is yes, absolutely. We have a panel of three experts on this very topic, change. And the topic is change is inevitable. Success secrets of a change champion. I've got three fabulous change champions waiting in the wings to speak. First up, I'm delighted to welcome a newcomer to our show. She is Sarah Kimmel, K-I-M-M-E-L, if you want to look her up. She's a Vice President of Research and Advisory Services at Human Capital Media. Those of you scratching your heads and saying, that sounds familiar, well, they oversee the Research Division of Human Capital Media, which publishes, get this, Chief Learning Officer, Talent Management, and Workforce Magazines. And here is the quote Sarah sent me from Don Tapscott. Here we go. Collaboration is important not just because it's a better way to learn. The spirit of collaboration is penetrating every institution and all of our lives. And here's the key of the quote. Learning to collaborate is part of equipping yourself for effectiveness, problem-solving, innovation, and lifelong learning in an ever-changing networked economy. We got the word changing in there. Sarah Kimmel, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing all right, Bonnie. How about you? Wonderful. Thank you so much. Interesting quote. I've, I've met Don Tapscott. I know he did a white paper for a group I was working with at SAP a few years ago, and he's a business executive, an author, a consultant, a speaker, and he writes about the organizational transformation, business strategy, and the role of technology today. So tell me, how did you come to pick a Tapscott? How did you tap a Tapscott quote? Sarah Kimmel, I'm tongue-tied here. Talk to me. 
Well, I was thinking about what we had just discovered through, through the research that we did. And, and I was thinking about exactly what you were just saying, that change is the new norm. Um, and I think that this makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Because when, in, when things are changing, they're not entirely sure what they should be doing um, or how they can best prepare for whatever is coming and how going to be different. Um, it used to be, you know, inside of organizations that the answer to how, to how to make things more efficient and effective in the workplace was to create more structure, you know, codify processes and practices and rules of thumbs, made things better. Um, and it also made everyone feel secure that they knew what they should be doing. But the workplace that, that businesses and employees are facing now never really stops changing. And yesterday's best practice can be today's bad habit, you know, that keeps us from being competitive in the marketplace. So what's the answer? And I think part of the solution is twofold. It's first, we have to learn to be better collaborators, reach out to, uh, to other people in the organization and utilize their strengths. And we have to learn to be better communicators, um, you know, as things are changing, uh, People need to know. They need to know what they should be doing. They need to know how things have been changing. Um, and this is what we've learned about successful change management in businesses today from the research. Thank you, Sarah, very, very much. Great intro to our topic, and we're just going to see that word change popping up all over the place. Sarah, one quick question before I bring on our second panelist. Do you consider yourself a change champion? I'm not sure that I would. I would consider myself a researcher. Um, so I'm, I'm the person who's figuring out uh, what change champions are doing. You know, in, in a way, Bonnie, maybe everybody is a change champion. Um, you know, maybe everybody is, uh, is involved in some way um, in, in figuring out how we're all going to, to get along and make things better. Um, I would hope that I get to contribute. Um, but uh, as far as that, I would, I would see maybe the future will tell. Okay, thank you very much. We'll save that for the predictions round. Welcome again, Sarah Kimmel. Second panelist up is Marsha Connor. If you're looking for her, it's Marsha, M-A-R-C-I-A. Connor, C-O-N-N-E-R. She has a fabulous picture on Twitter. Go take a look. She's with Impact Ingenuity. And we'll get to meet Marsha a lot more later. And here's a quote she sent me from Frances Willard. Full name is Frances Elizabeth Caroline Willard, an American educator, temperance reformer, Probably most of our audience is too young to even know what that is. And a woman's suffragist. She, her influence was instrumental in the passage of the 18th and 19th Amendments to the U.S. Constitution. Here's the quote from Frances Willard. The world is wide, and I will not waste my life in friction when it could be turned into momentum. Love that forward motion. Marsha Connor, welcome. How are you today? I'm great. Wonderful to be here with you, Bonnie. Delighted, delighted, delighted. I, I want to know, do you always look like your picture, uh, Marcia? You're looking up like you're waiting for some balloon of wisdom to come appear, appear over you so you can say, I am a change champion. I'm sure that's what it is. That's exactly what I'm doing. You, you captured it perfectly. <laughs> I always have that look of wonder and excitement and, ooh, this could be fabulous. You absolutely do. So tell me, an interesting quote from you, a very modern young woman, to pick from Frances Elizabeth Caroline Willard. I don't even know if you knew her full name. So what is this quote all about in relation to change champions? Marcia? I find so much time spent within organizations as pushing against, as opposed to figuring out where the will, the excitement, the energy is for making change. And if we can turn our attention instead of what isn't working, uh, don't get me wrong, I'm a big believer in figuring out the obstacles and people's paths and removing those systematically, but if we can actually look beyond 
where we're where we are today instead of pushing against uh, instead finding that momentum and being able to work in a different sort of way looking inside not just looking ahead we have the potential to make the changes we need in our lives and our organizations and when I saw that quote from her I thought that's just perfect because it says exactly uh, it captures the essence of that movement that I'm working on and that I, I try to live by every single day. Thank you, Marsha. And I want to just read a, a little bit from your bio. I didn't introduce you properly, and I want to make sure people know that I think you are a change champion. You, you describe yourself as a blank page systems architect. Very interesting. You serve as senior counsel to executives, corporations, politicians, governments, and NGOs. And here's what I want everybody to know. Marsha Connor focuses on big vision leaders, impact, impact entrepreneurs, and plan B thinkers ready to use their superpowers for good. Do you give them a cape, Marsha? It sounds like superpowers. They need a cape. Yes? Absolutely. If you want a cape, you should have one. Uh, I, I happen to have a, a lot of hair, and so sometimes it sort of flows behind me in the wind. But if that is your, your shirt or your, uh, your vest, whatever it is that you need to be able to really live into what you're capable of, nothing should prevent you from doing that. And if it's a cape you want, then a cape you shall have. There you go. Thank you very much, Marsha Connor. Are you, do you consider yourself a change champion with quotes around it? Uh, most definitely, yes. Uh, though I have uh, worn the research hat and have written many books over the years, I find that change is really the only thing consistent in all of our lives. And best we get on with it, best we figure out how to do it well and with others. I agree. And my favorite quote is, plus I change, plus I la même shows, and we'll leave that one on the table. Let's welcome our third panelist. She's no stranger to Game Changers Radio. She is Carrie Brown, SAP evangelist and thought leader and VP of user adoption. And Carrie has, I don't know, Carrie, I think you're just part of the family here. You're on very frequently. We're delighted to have you back. Carrie has sent us a quote from one of my favorite new I don't know what to call him. Well, he's an entrepreneur, a marketer, a public speaker. It's Seth Godin. I read his blog daily. And here's the quote. An artist is someone who uses bravery, insight, creativity, and boldness to challenge the status quo. Kerry Brown, how are you? Hasn't been that long since we've spoken, has it? I'm very well, thank you, Bonnie. I hope you're well as well. I am. Nice to have you back. Talk to me. You picked one of my favorite people, Seth Godin. So how did this particular quote make it on its way about change, on a show about change champions? Well, I, th I think it takes courage to to be changed, to lead change, to live in change. And you know, for all the people who have been on my teams, the two words I ask people to be is to be curious and to be proactive. And so, you know, it's something that I, I think as you become accomplished in an area, it's good to remind yourself that you really that there's more you don't know than there is that you know, and I think it takes courage to own that, and I think it takes courage to continue to reinvent yourself and to help others reinvent themselves in the organization, which with the ever-changing workplace, that, that is a need that we all have. So, you know, I thought the words that he used really are indicative of the kinds of characteristics and behaviors that we all could and should have and, and could and should embrace more often in order to, to bring our best selves to work and to life. 
Carrie, what if somebody pushes back? What if somebody says to you, Carrie Brown, love the quote from Seth Godin, great quote, but I'm not brave. I don't think I have amazing insights. I'm just not a creative person. It's not in my DNA. Boldness, ah, I'm a follower, not a leader. What do you say to them? Can they still serve as a change champion without having to step up to all of these really upfront and in-your-face types of characteristics? Carrie, what would you say to that person? Absolutely. And and what I often say is I think people come to work every day trying to do a good job. I don't think they succeed every day, but I don't think people come in fundamentally saying, I think I'll do a crappy job today. And so just just showing up and, and bringing your your best intentions and your best capabilities and, and participating is part of being that process. So you don't have to lead the process, but don't, you don't have to resist the process. So to Marsha's point in terms of how do you build momentum and don't push against present but look to the future, it's really a matter of are you with the flow, are you part of the flow, are you a contributor or a, or a multiplier or are you a resistor? And so I think everybody really can be part of that from whatever, you know, part, on the, part of the continuum that they live on. Thank you very much, Carrie. Profound, as always, delighted to have you back. And let's circle back to our opening panelist, Sarah Kimmel. Sarah, this is the toughest part of the show. I ask you a very personal question. What are you drinking right now? What's in your cup today? Or what would you like to drink after the show is over? Talk to me. Well, well, Bonnie, I'm, I'm drinking a cup of coffee. It's a very large cup of coffee. Um, but this is not just any cup of coffee. Um, I'm a social scientist by training, um, and I'm a researcher by practice. And so this cup of coffee, um, everything about it has been through a rigorous process of R&D um, and experimentation, and it has been precisely calibrated to be exactly the perf- perfect cup of coffee for me. I'm delighted that it's a perfect cup of coffee for you, and that's what we want. We want you to be happy. Thank you very much. Is there a brand? Um, it's a Colombian blend. So nice medium roast, not too bitter, you know, not too weak. Um, uh, it's been prepared in a French press. Um, it's exactly the right amount, and it has an Irish creamer. I'm completely obsessed with Irish creamer. Uh, now we're getting down to the personal details we were looking for. Thank you, Sarah, very much. Enjoy. Marsha Connor, what are you drinking or what are you dreaming about drinking? I drink water. I drink water exclusively. I haven't had five cups of coffee in my entire life. And uh, when you drink that much water, I aim to drink about a gallon of water a day. It doesn't always work, but I, I sometimes, I most of the time get close and sometimes even surpass that. Uh, in my case, that's well water, actually. I live in the country and uh, it tastes better than any water I've ever found in my life. And uh, I am uh, prone to kidney stones. So I have discovered <laughs> that drinking a tremendous amount of water is the most healthy, healthy, Sure, an approach I can, and it requires a lot of, just like change, it requires a lot of attention, being mindful of your body, and uh, really thinking about what it needs versus what it wants. Thank you. Oh, very interesting, what it needs versus what it wants. There's a some boldness and creativity and, and uh, staunchness, I would say. Thank you, Marcia. Carrie Brown, we do this all the time with you. What are you drinking today? I am on the water bandwagon with Marcia, but I have mint and lime in my water. I have mint from my garden and, and lime because it's just a good thing to do, and I completely agree with Marcia. It's a whole lot easier to do what you want than what you need, and uh, I need a lot of water. So water is in my cup today. 
And guess what? It's in mine, too, and I'm sipping here a little bit. I don't know why I must be all choked up speaking to such formidable change champions today. So I'm sipping, sipping, sipping. Uh, and let's see. Today we have a green straw. Sometimes we have a pink straw. I have a note here on <clears throat> on Twitter from David Fowler, who is the sponsor of the show. He goes by the handle Dave, D-A-V-E-S, the letter S, Fowler, F-O-W-L-E-R, all together. And he says, in my cup today. Newman's Special Blend Coffee with Cream and Sugar. Oh, Dave's going for the full tilt one. Bravo, Dave. Appreciate that. And a shout-out to Jessica Nell, who helped arrange this panel and put the show together. Jessica, we'd love to know what you're drinking today as well. We're going to go out and take a break for just about 90 seconds. We're going to regroup here with Sarah Kimmel, Marsha Connor, Carrie Brown. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to Season 3, Episode Number 5. Dave Fowler is the proud papa of three seasons. Seasons of Future of Business with Game Changers, and Dave is proud to say he has not run a single replay. Every single episode is live and new, and I think Dave is the winner for the most live episodes in a mini-series in any season. So, Dave, bravo to you. We're going to go out and take a quick break, and when we come back, Sarah Kimmel is going to help me launch the roundtable. We've got a lot to talk about. The topic is change is inevitable. Yes, indeed, it is the success secrets of a change champion. Wherever you are, whatever you work in, whatever you do forever, whom you work, whatever your calling card in life is, change will affect you. But if you're in a big company, it might be a little harder to change than if you're in a startup. We'll talk about that spectrum of change opportunities when we come back. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Factors as diverse as business simplification, insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, business networks and supply chains, and the ever-present need for speed are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. The Future of Business with Game Changers is presented by SAP Services. Visit www.sap.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the future of business with Game Changers. Welcome back. Our future today is talking about the big six letter, five letters, change, C-H-A-N-G-E. I've got... Six letters here. And JFK said change is the law of life, and that's what we're talking about. What are the secrets of a change champion? Is there a toolkit? Can we mine that toolkit? What advice can we give to all of you out there in our global business listening audience? We're talking today with Sarah Kimmel, Marsha Connor, Carrie Brown. They all have great ideas. So let's get started 
with our roundtable. Sarah Kimmel, I'm looking at your notes, some interesting points here. Let me read a couple of lines, and then you can kick us off. Uh, Being successful with change management isn't a result of having less problems or problems of a different kind than those who are successful. The change champions report that they're having the same kind of challenges and are motivated by the same pressing business issues as everyone else. Sarah, why don't you expand this and then we'll get your co-panelists in. Talk to me. Absolutely. So one of the things that we wanted to determine when we did the research was what is what is making some people be more successful with change management than others? And so to that end, we asked them what kind of challenges they were having. Um, and when we, uh, when we got the data back and we cut it and cut the change champions out from the rest, one of the first things I saw was that when you look at um, uh, whether or not uh, they're experiencing the same resistance from employees, it's exactly identical. It was the exact same percentage for change champions who are doing really well and for those who aren't. What is not changing is that people resist change. <laughs> That's the same no matter what. And, and having less resistance to change isn't what determines success. Um, what is different uh, about the change champions is how they meet the challenges um, that they're experiencing in their organizations. They collaborate more across departments, building buy-in and support across the organization uh, for the change. And they're a lot more focused on informing employees about the aspects of the change that affect them and preparing them uh, for the change uh, with information and learning opportunities and working through many different uh, channels to communicate information that employees need about the change. So communication is a very big word for this, correct, Sarah? That's absolutely correct. Okay, let's add Marsha Connor's POV on this. Marsha, thoughts on what Sarah just shared, please? Well, I found the same in the work I've done with large organizations, that those who are beautifully uh, minded towards change are really not all that different from the people who are resistant to it. What I find to be most clear, though, is that those who embrace it, who to some extent what Carrie talked about are are so curious and, and proactive, they're the ones I find that really aim not for informing but for perspective transformation that it's not a matter of communicating or, or just telling or even sharing or even collaborating. All, in large part, are words that we think about as the sharing out of. Instead, they aim for understanding what it is that the people they're working with need, and they aim for figuring out what are the levers in their lives that allow them to embrace those change and for the, those changes and for them to think to themselves, this is something that I need. This is something that I, I want. This is something that will help all of us move forward faster. And so while I say completely agree on, on the, that they are similar, what I encourage everyone to do is to think about what makes each individual unique and how they can really uh, dig into who they are to figure out who they are and how that can move forward. Interesting, Marcia. Carrie, I want to bring you in, and then I have a question for the whole panel, but I don't want to interrupt the flow. Go ahead, Carrie Brown. Thoughts? I, I think the, to follow on from both, I think to be motivated is when you have something that is motivating to you. And so when you're looking at change, understanding both from a holistic standpoint for an enterprise, what the motivations are, but down to a team and then an individual level in terms of what the motivations are, looks at how do you engage and connect as many people to that 
momentum as possible. Thank you. My question to the three panelists is, what if you encounter employees at any end, uh, end of the – and Carrie knows I often ask generation or demographic-related questions about the fact that we have five cohorts of demographics working side-by-side side in many organizations today. What if you encounter people who just shake their head, cluck their tongues, and say, I don't want to change. I have enough trouble doing my job the way it is. I just I'll, learned these methods. I'll jump in to please, start with. Please. I think that goes back to motivations. You know, I had yeah. an individual on my team who retired last year. And about two years ago, he said, you know what, I'm retiring. And I really, there's some really cool new stuff coming, but it's not my sweet spot. And I, if I had 10 years left of work, I'd have a different perspective than I do now. And so what we did is we worked together to give him the opportunity to, one, leave a legacy for everyone else, to grow the rest of the team, and to be a champion for the, the greater cause. But I didn't ask to place him in a, in a situation that was uncomfortable. Conversely, when I've had millennials uh, as, as interns or joining the team mm-hmm. or younger generations than, you know, somewhere between the millennial and the boomer, depending on what they need to grow and they need to contribute is looking at how they can be a part of the overall process and, and, and organization. But it's, it's, I think, no different really um, by generation going back to saying what's the motivation and, and what's in it for me. Thank you very much. Anybody else on that? Very, very interesting answer, Carrie, and I appreciate it. That's exactly what I was looking for. And it sounds like adding to the word communication, we have the word motivation, which you had brought up previously. Uh, Marcia, this is Marcia. Yeah, I, I would yeah. like to add in. Uh, I work with an organization that I had been told uh, that there are a number of people who are not going to be up for this change, who are not interested in this challenge. They, they are within retirement uh, reach. They can see it ahead of them. And I pushed back and just said, have you asked? Simple as that may sound, I actually went uh, with a, a small team, but particularly one fellow who we were told was just not up for this. And I sat in his cube. He was, where, he was an older gentleman. He was wearing a gray suit. He fit almost every stereotype you can imagine as someone who just wasn't interested, wasn't engaged. I sat in this cube a couple of years ago and just simply asked that question. I said, I've been told that you are not interested in this change, that you're not interested in working in new and different ways. Oh, is that true? And before my eyes, he put his hands, he put his face in his hands and started crying. Much to my surprise, I will add. And through those tears, he, you know, came up for air and he looked at me and he said, you know, I've been working in this organization for 30 years. You're the first person who's ever actually asked. I can think of all sorts of things that I would do differently. I can think of all sorts of things that I would love to change around here and I would love to participate and help with. But frankly, no one has asked. And in that moment, I changed my perspective about how we think about change in the organization. And we think about we have so many assumptions and we, we rule out who will do what and we just don't ask. This isn't a matter of only asking the influencers. This is a matter of engaging and connecting with every single person. And I encourage everyone, not just listening, but everybody that we work with, to ask those fundamental questions and challenge our perceptions and to ask. Thank you very Sarah, this is Sarah, and, I, and I'd like to go back to something that Carrie said earlier where she said that nobody wants to do a bad job. 
you know, um, and I think that, um, you know, we're talking about communication here, and, but it's also about what are you communicating. What you need to explain to people is how this change is actually going to help, and not just help them, but people want to do a good job. How is it going to help the organization? How is it going to help the people that the organization serves? If you can make that case for people, um, you know, their, their own desire to, to be contributive and to do a good job is going to do a lot of that work for you. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. I, I want to in- insert here a quote in Marsha Connor's notes, a quote from Deb Schultz, who famously said, and I quote, technology changes, humans don't. You just want to address this, Marsha, before we move on? Just li- in, in, along the lines of Carrie's comment that nobody wants to do a bad job, I, I find that most everyone hires the smartest people they can and then when they, we get them in the organization, we treat them like idiots. Ooh. And the fact is that it's not the, the person, it's not the employee, it's not the leader, it's not the, the coworker who really has changed in this case. It's the organization, it's the things that we put around them. I love Deb's quote because it's just a, it's a vivid reminder that we need to really be thinking hard about the choices we make and the assumptions we do. So uh, thank you for, for adding that one in. And I, I just... I encourage everyone to actually realize we have brilliant people around us and we should be treating them that way. Fantastic. I saw it in your notes. I highlighted it and I, I knew this was a good place to introduce the quote. So thank, thank you for your thank you, Marcia. This is the way it's supposed to go, a good conversation. So I'm going to move on and I'm looking uh, right now at Marcia Connor's discussion notes and um, I'd like to start getting some of the tools in the Change Champions toolkits. But let's look at more of the status quo first and see what we can do about that. Marcia, you say more than 50% of every knowledge worker's time is spent on just maintaining the organization. And your comment, not surprisingly, is this is a global waste of resources and a nonstop dampener of innovation. So how do we move forward into what would be the tool in the toolkit that helps leaders get past this? Well, we have to be very mindful of the, the topic of moreism. And that is that we, when we ask people to change, what we're really often asking them is to do more. And I, I don't know about any of you, but I assume that like me and like everyone I've met in the last probably 15 years, we, we don't have time for any more. And I mean, I, I, let me say that again. We don't have time for any more. And so the top tool in my toolkit is to ask what can we replace? What can we remove that is not working well today, and how can we find more efficient, more effective, uh, more fun, more vibrant, more energetic uh, ways of working and replace those that we have been doing for so long because that's how we always do it around here. And so I say above all else is to ask that question, not how we can add anything more, but to almost look at the person who's asking you to do something uh, one more thing, look at them and say, oh, that's interesting. What is it that we will be taking off of my plate in order for this to work? And that's something that everyone in every organization at every level should get expert at asking, as well as when new programs and processes come down the line, what are we doing to be able to create the space to be able to do this well? Because we shouldn't be doing it if we can't be doing it well. 
Wow, that one blew me away. Carrie Brown, thoughts on that one? Replace, replace, replace. What are your what's your observation, Carrie? I'm sure you have a case study or something interesting to share on that. <laughs> I, I, know I, th- you do. I think what's interesting is when you look at the the changing in the workplace. So for example, things like by twenty twenty, eighty three percent of the workforce is gonna be contingent. The roles that people play are changing all the time. And the way that work gets done is changing all the time. And I think people are going from a static, you know, increasingly less static role to an increasingly more dynamic role. So the ability to consider what to stop doing, I think, is something we don't do often enough, candidly. You know, I think we look at plenty of what should we start doing, but there's not often a lot of what should we stop doing. And and that, you know, is something I think we'll continue to revisit and, and should. Thank you. Sarah Kimmel, join this exciting part of our conversation. What do you observe? Um, I, I love that idea of morism, um, and I, I love that, um, uh, that there's a kind of mindlessness in it, you know, uh, and um, uh, what I'm thinking is I'd done some previous research on uh, what makes high performers high performers. It had a lot to do with learning, um, you know, and, and that focus on efficiency. If you think about where efficiency comes from, it comes from more innovation, and where does innovation come from? Uh, it comes from, you know, reflection and thinking, about you know so so you have to have that time to think about what you're doing and that time to reflect on why did this work or why is this going so slowly um, in order to become more efficient and do more it's not just trying to like a machine um, because people are not machines uh, uh, you know do more clicks and and uh, and and make more gadgets uh, you you can't just fit more in by being more busy you have to fit mm-hmm. more in by thinking. Uh, about how things could be better and how things could be different. Thank you very much. Um, Marsha, anything you want to say to wrap up this part? I'm ready to move on to some notes from Carrie Brown. I'll add just one more note on this before you jump to my other point piece, is that I think what's challenging for everyone is also to figure out what to change. And the more virtual, the more uh, distant people are from each other, the more we can measure and monitor performance the more we can get really clear on what it is we're trying to achieve, that people can get positive feedback that what they're doing is productive and is valuable. I think monitoring of, of and KPIs of work are going to become significantly more relevant as we have people who are less and less in front of each other doing that work. So I think that the monitoring performance is going to continue to become a bigger part of what do we change and where do we change it as well. Thank you. All right. Carrie Brown, I'm looking at your notes. You sent me such interesting talking points here. I'm looking at the the list, plan, invest, involve, communicate, overall. I'm going to jump to your overall statement because I think this is a key talking about change champions toolkit. Carrie says change is led and managed by people who lead and manage the business every day, not a change person, not a change team. This sounds revolutionary to me. Carrie, how dare you say this? You mean we don't have a change management team? You mean we don't have a, a change booth where everybody goes and says, oh, this is the team that's managing the change. We'll have to see what's on their agenda for today. How does this really work, Carrie? Exactly as I said it, and, and it's a soundbite that I said years ago, and it stuck. Because really, when you look at an organization and there's, you know, there's 500 people, 5,000 people, 50,000 people, the change is occurring where everyone lives in their day-to-day life with their leader and their manager. And so when you look at the change person or the change champion or the change role, whatever that might be, who is assisting or equipping the people who are leading and managing and doing what is their core business, 
you know, it may be the change person's core business to help drive change, but it's somebody else's core business to drive sales or to drive manufacturing or procurement or whatever that might be. And so that intact team is really going to adapt and respond within its own boundaries and grouping. And so I think it's interesting when you look at, at programs or enterprises, whether it's systemic change, technologically based change, you know, whatever the scenario is, change happens based on the culture and the influence of those leaders and managers. And so having some deliberate actions around communication certainly help. Having deliberate actions around expectations and accountability certainly help. But how that organism, that group is going to behave is really so much a reflection of the influence of the leaders and managers who are part of the day-to-day living and life of that organization. Thank you. Sarah Kimmel, thoughts? Um, I'm thinking about how in the research that we did, um, we looked at both smaller organizations and larger organizations. And larger organizations tend to have, you know, are more likely to have a change management team, um, whereas smaller organizations don't have the resources. Um, So they don't have a dedicated team. What they have is an ad hoc group of exactly what Carrie is talking about, business leaders. Uh, people who do the, da- the day-to-day business of the organization, who come together, you know, to facilitate and foster, you know, a change in the organization. Um, and one of the things that we found is that even though they don't have a change management team that's dedicated to nothing but change, um, the smaller organizations uh, report sometimes even greater benefits um, to, to their change efforts, you know, through involving different parts of the organizations, through being an advocate for change, um, and, and uh, that it's not less effective, you know, in, in, by any means um, to, to not have a dedicated change team. Interesting, interesting. Uh, Sarah, while we're talking to you, the role of the L&D department, learning and development, I know this is a big focus for you and your research. How does that work in a smaller organization? In a smaller organization, um, one of the really amazing things that we found is in small organizations, the L&D team is more likely to have uh, an even greater impact on the success of the change than it is in a larger organization. And one of the reasons for that is that um, the L&D is a trusted voice. Um, it's, a, it's a place uh, that um, employees trust that information um, and they, they uh there's that authenticity coming from the, the learning team, and they're used to getting information from the learning team. Uh, so L&D can, tru- can serve as a, a, a trusted advisor for employees in the process of change. I'll, I'll jump into that, too. I think one of the yeah. reasons in a, in a smaller organization why L&D has a bigger impact is there is often not the opportunity to have a dedicated change person. So. You know, at a minimum, organizations think of needing to have training when there's change. I'd say, frankly, um, that's the narrowest interpretation of how to support a change. You know, next next on the layer would be communication, but next is really looking at roles and impacts and how to shape that that whole um, adjustment. It, I would I would suggest that without a dedicated change resource. It's really difficult to to corral the troops, if you will. So another term I'll often say is is change management is really about putting discipline around common sense. And so if you were to give a good leader or a good manager a challenge to open a new site or create a new program or whatever that might be, 
they would think about who are the right people, what are they responsible for, how do I communicate to them, how do I set expectations, how do I prepare them, train them, define their roles, etc., and how do I measure the KPIs. All of those things, if you look at the the activities that help drive successful change or represent being a, a good change champion are there. The challenge is when you scale change, often where technology is a part of it, or a reorganization or whatever it might be, the scale is so much greater that getting everyone to apply common sense, commonsensically at the same time, is challenging. So you do need dedicated resources to help corral and direct that activity so that you can have as much efficiency and effectiveness as possible. This is Marcia. Can I add one more thing to that? Please. We we forget that change really is more like a marathon than a sprint. Mm -hmm. And just because some people early on in the process go slow and actually build their momentum doesn't mean that they aren't going to actually change over the long haul. And likewise, that if you really start out fast and you're not the sort of person who that meets your style and meets your needs to actually readjust and, and really find your equilibrium along the way, you're not going to make the, you're not going to be able to make it to the end. And I, I learned this from a, an illustrious, from a fabulous corporate leader who just reminded me on, and reminded all of us on a day in and day out basis that we all have our own and we have a different pace. And it's together getting us through the finish line that's important, but not really uh, focusing or obsessing about the individuals along the way. It's the, it's the making it to the end. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Good point. Carrie, uh, since you brought this up, anything you want to wrap up on this before I'm, I pour through the notes and see what else we're, we want to talk about in the time we have left? I, I think that, that one, one capture, uh, a note that I shared, if I were to boil down this into one sentence, it's mm-hmm. really around expectations and accountabilities. And if there's a match on expectations and accountabilities, then there's success because each person then from CEO down to individual contributor can figure out where do they fit in, what do they do, and when do they need to do it, and what are they accountable for. And that mismatch is where you see a, I thought this, you thought that, and this didn't work. If you've got a connectivity in terms of those two things, then everyone's got the same endpoint and view of that and knows where and how to fit in. And, and I agree with Marcia completely. Readiness and timeliness are not something you can always control, but you're giving people the perspective and the direction on how to be motivated. Thank you. I have a question for the whole panel. We often hear here on Game Changers Radio on our various series, and we hear from business leaders the new mantra, fail fast and fail often, that it's not always about doing it right the first time. It's not always about being perfect at all. It's about figuring out what needs to be done, and if it doesn't work, get over it quickly. Don't waste more resources and move on to the next opportunity or the next trial and error process. So my question to the panel, anybody can jump in, what happens when an organization says we need to change XYZ. We're growing, we're globalizing, we're moving into a different part of the industry, we're taking our product and turning it into a service. Whatever the change, the inevitable changes that needs to be managed. What happens if the company seems to always be changing? What happens if uh, somebody said change is the new norm where there never is a regular day, where it's always a we have to manage to this change? Do people fall off the bandwagon? Do they get tired? Do they say, oh my God, could I just do my job today? Um, Marsha, you want to talk about this one? I'll get everybody else involved. I'm sitting here shaking my head, thinking, is, is there an option? Uh, not only is there an option, I'm frankly, in my you know, 30 years in the corporate world, I don't think I've ever worked with an organization that that wasn't the case. In fact, I, I'm thinking to myself, really? 
I guess there probably are, but I haven't met them. So I would say that that is the, my expectation. That, to me, is the norm. The question becomes how are we going to not only reflect on those, those changes and those failures quickly, but how are we going to uh, really prepare ourselves, be ready all the time for whatever is needed to be done, because that's really all it boils down to. Interesting. Sarah Kimmel, thoughts? Well, it's not just that expectation of change that could be exhausting, right? It could also mm-hmm. be, is, is, it, um, is what we're expecting from people unreasonable? You know, if, if people are in a situation where they have to change but they're well-supported um, and they have yes. time to come to terms with that change um, and, and they have receptive, you know, leadership uh, who are willing to hear about, you know, changes that need to happen with the change, um, that's one thing. But if, if they're being expected to do something to change constantly uh, without a lot of support um, and, and that they're supposed to be perfect all the time and not fail, that will become exhausting for people. That's what I was thinking about. Uh, Carrie, I have a quote in your notes here from Niccolo Machiavelli. Let me read this because I think it applies here. Whosoever desires constant success must change his, I'll add, or her conduct with the times. So changes, it just, do you agree with Marsha? You have to change I, all the time. I, I, bl- I agree with Marsha that change is ever-present. I do think that people pick and choose the roles that they play in organizations. I think some folks are, are leading and driving change to the comments earlier in terms of which role do you want to play in terms of courage versus support. And, and I also think change fatigue is a real, is a real uh, response mm-hmm. by organizations and by people when there's a lot that's going on. And I think, you know, if you look individually or collectively, there's points in time both for individuals and groups that change is, uh, is more rapid or not. And I think you can pick and choose the role that you play. Um, some people would choose to play a role that is more static and more predictable. Some people choose to play a role that's, that's much more change-oriented. So do I think that um, there's many organizations where, where adaptability is not required anymore? No, I don't. When I worked for Coca-Cola Enterprises, uh, we were called CCE, and our nickname was Constantly Changing Environment. So, you know, absolutely I think that change is ever-present in, in most organizations. But I do also think when you look at um, how to respond to it, that there is an exhaustion point where people just don't have capacity to respond. And back to the earlier dialogue of understanding how to how to motivate people, how to connect people, how do they can best contribute. If you don't pay attention and listen to that, then you won't get the responsiveness that you're looking for. Thank you. That's, that's where I was heading with this. Thank you. The concept of change fatigue and just being exhausted. What? You want to change it again? Okay. Marsha Connor, looking at your notes here, I'm trying to mine for some topics we haven't covered yet. Let's talk about technology. You say technology does not fundamentally change organizations. It's a reflection of what they already are, accelerating and augmenting the good and the bad. Talk to me about technology and change. Marsha? I spend a lot of time talking and working with organizations focused on uh, social technologies, for example, collaborative technologies, uh, any sort of uh, tool that allows us to connect in either more meaningful ways because perhaps we can connect with a wider audience across the globe or because we can actually connect with the people that we need to talk with who we weren't able to reach in a meaningful way in the past. 
And what I find often is that people say, well, this or that person does not use these tools because it doesn't meet their needs. And, and again, I go back to things you've probably heard me say on, on the show over and over again, which is we need to understand what it is that does motivate those folks and, and what is it that they do use. And so in, on this particular area of focus, I ask the question, what is it that people do naturally to connect with one another? It's not that all of a sudden we became social at work. We've been social all along. We've just been using different approaches. I often joke that the post-it note was the best collaborative tool we had, uh, and we use it all the time to convey information, to be able to gather information from one another. How have, what are the technologies Meaning, going back to the real, even the origin of the word uh, technology, which is that which allows us to get work done, and ask that question for you know based on technique to say what, how do we do our work? What are the new tools? What are the new digital approaches to be able to replace what's not working? To be able to lean into what is and what allows us to do better at what we're doing. Um, I without making this more of a plug than perhaps it needs to be. I, I, I just finished up the second edition of The New Social Learning, uh, which is a book specifically focused on this topic and in interviewing over 100 organizations and individuals within those organizations as to how they are changing what they are doing. They consistently told us that again and again that when they were successful, they felt like they could be more human at work. They could actually reach people if they needed to. They could find answers when they wanted to, and they didn't have to waste their time uh, dealing with and working through a system that was probably put in place before these modern tools were available. And so I think that's our opportunity is to be able to think about technology not as one more thing to do, but as a, a, a way to augment what we're already capable of doing. Thank you. To the point, great. Carrie Brown, thoughts on that? I think what's interesting is how will technology continue to change the way we function. Like it's it's really remarkable to look at how it's changed in the last fifty years. You know, I, I have an eighty one year old mother who got an iPhone a couple of weeks ago and I sat with her and, and my stepfather and was showing how Siri could, you know, tell the weather in London as we speak. And you mm-hmm. think of how things have changed technologically and how the digital age has shifted our behavior. You know, the statistics like the fact that you know, 80% of the world's emails are sent by boomers, 90% of the world's texts are sent by millennials. Mm-hmm. What we will think of as normal communication and normal behavior in five years is fascinating. You know, what will we learn you know, demographically when we get to in 2025 and 75% of the workplace is millennials? What will we do differently? What will we learn that was a waste of time? And what will we learn that we could be doing differently? And what will we learn that we need to keep doing? And, and that really, I think, technology is now, in this space in particular, giving reach and lift. I, I agree with Marcia that sometimes all you're doing is accelerating you know, badness. You're not necessarily accelerating goodness, but you're giving acceleration to behaviors that are already present. So understanding what behaviors you want to have is just as important as acceleration. But technology now can give us different ways to connect, to search, to crowdsource, to communicate openly, to share that are are different and have changed our expectations in terms of how we learn. So if you look at learning really and change now are so much more a continuum than an event. And the access, for example, to YouTube and Facebook have changed what we expect to learn. We want two minutes, two sentences, two, you know, two paragraphs. We don't want two days or two weeks. 
And so we look for that immediacy and personalization in terms of content and interest. And that, I think, is shifting all of how we personally have changed. And then it's how do we apply that in an enterprise where technology is so much more present. Thank you, Carrie, Carrie very like much. To, I, I'd like we to have to move, go, go ahead, but we have to move into our predictions round. I'm going to save one minute for each of you. So whoever was talking, is that Marcia? Go ahead right ahead. Or is that Sarah? It was, the, it was Sarah. Go ahead, um, Sarah. I, I was going to I was going to say one thing really quickly about technology is that um the change champions were more likely to be using every single technology that we asked about but particularly social and mobile but but what it means is that they diversify their communication strategy speaking to that that personalization that Carrie is talking about they're more likely to have a blended communication strategy with both push and pull you know allowing employees to pull the information that they need at their point of need Thank you. Speaking about communication strategies, I have to tell all of you, my mom is uh, just now uh, six months away from her 99th birthday, and she is on email every day. She loves to Google things and look around. Wherever she lives, she's a snowbird. We have either a Mac or a PC. Just decided she hated her PC, so we gave her another inherited Mac from somebody in the family. She's got an iMac 27 right now on her desk, and I reset up her email. She's still on AOL, and she loves her email. But she knows some friends will only take her phone call or meet in person because they do not want technology. Other friends love emailing with her. What can I tell you, girls? That's the way it is sometimes. For a, I don't think she's, she's not even a boomer. I'm the boomer. I don't know what mom is anymore. So tell you what, it's time for us to predict, predict, predict. Change is inevitable. Success secrets of a change champion. I'm going to give you each exactly 60 seconds for your predictions. I love the year 2020. You can fast forward to any point in the future you like. Sarah Kimmel, Human Capital Media, Fast forward, tell me how far in the future, prediction 60 seconds, go. I would say this one is a prediction that is already coming true, and that is that organizations that are, that are really successful are going to be more integrated internally, um, that there are not going to be a lot of really siloed departments, um, that those departments are going to be more collaborative with each other um, and are going to need to collaborate more with each other in order to face the challenges um, uh, in front of them. And uh, the other thing is that I think that the technology will continue to allow some personalization um, in the way that that change is, if you will, distributed through an organization. Um, and that, that that's probably going to help a great deal. Thank you very much. Brief and to the point. Appreciated. Let's move to Marsha Connor. 60 seconds. Predictions. Talk to me. I'm going to project what we'll have, what we'll be seeing in 2025. So uh, 10 years from now. I have a 10-year-old son. I think about some of the challenges he'll face when he's off at college, presumably. And I, I believe in all of my heart that we will not be talking about technology. There will be companies who will be providing those things, but from a, an employer perspective, from a work perspective, from a how-we-live-our-lives perspective, we will be doing what we are innately capable of doing, and the technology will be there to augment that. But if that is the case, and I believe it to be true, then we best be thinking now, we best be talking about, we best be getting better at understanding human beings, uh, people, behaviors, emotions, uh, connections, how people see the world, what they want to do in the world, and how they can be human and caring and fully themselves 24 hours a day. And that's a bigger challenge than ever overcoming or changing how we work with technology. Thank you, Marsha Connor. Carrie Brown, I saved 60 seconds for you. Go. 
I think that what's going to happen is self-reliance is going to become increasingly more relevant, both personally and career-wise. So to echo Marsha's comments, the awareness of that individual contribution, I think, becomes one of, of ownership for an individual, of their career, of their person. And so understanding where they're going to stretch and how they're going to grow and how they need to manage themselves, because we're going to continue to be, I think, increasingly virtual in our in our workforce and in our connections. And so being able to be self-directed, show initiative, have personal advocacy are going to be those things that allow us to be successful. And as a corporation or an enterprise, recognizing how to bring people together, given those, those scenarios, I think is what's going to allow organizations to thrive. So much more fluidity, much more advocacy, and much more personalization for everybody. Thank you very much, ladies. Terrific conversation. Sarah Kimmel at Human Capital Media. Thank you. Marsha Connor, shout out to your 10-year-old son. May technology long wave in his life, and may it be good at Impact Ingenuity. Kerry Brown, always a pleasure at SAP. Shout outs to David Fowler at SAP, who sponsors this series. Jessica Nell, you did a fabulous job putting together the topic and panel. Thank you. Whoever is tweeting at handle SAPEDU, you were wonderful in SAP services. And a shout out to Brad and the Business Channel team. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We're just about out of time, and I'm going to wrap it up with my call to action. So, Sarah, Marsha, Kerry, Here's the drill. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Signing off for SAP Game Changers Radio. Be back next Tuesday with a new edition of Business Innovation with Game Changers. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. And please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.